have your specialist on board who knows about SIBO, who can help you navigate it. And it's up to you to decide, are you wanting to work with somebody who's more conventionally trained, who has fantastic knowledge in the pharmaceutical options to approach SIBO, or do you want to work with a provider that has more options, not only pharmaceutical, but also the herbs, for example. In this part two episode of Dr. Megan Taylor talking about SIBO with me, we covered the ileocecal valve, adhesions, abdominal massage, the imaging tests you could investigate if that's gonna work for you and if you can afford them and if your insurance will cover them, how acupuncture might play a role in helping you feel better the way it helped me feel so much better. What about your mental health? Yeah, the brain, the gut connection. And you know, it's not just brain, it's also attitude and the mind connection and your mood connection. And here is where Dr. Taylor is gonna tell us a little bit about kids and the approach she has and some tips if your kids happen to have SIBO. So let's listen in and get some more insight from this incredible, energetic, inspirational doctor, Dr. Megan Taylor. Do you have any tips on ileocecal valve toning, like some exercises or anything? <laughs> like little weights for it? I think part of it, probably regular bowel movements are good. That back mm -hmm. pressure concept, mm -hmm. making sure that your if constipation is part of your symptom constellation, really making sure that's happening. And then what I have been taught by my mentor, Dr. Sandberg Lewis, is a manipulation technique in this area near the ileocecal valve, what we call visceral massage or visceral manipulation that can help to tone that ileocecal valve. And so that is what I've really relied on probably the most. So there's varying providers who do visceral manipulation. I actually think it's one of the keys to it's amazing. treatment. I it's mean, at a minimum, helping with that hypersensitivity that a lot of folks develop with chronic gut stuff, right, where we're just so attuned really can be helpful, but it can really help that as well in our experience in the clinical side. So I've gone on YouTube and seen like mm -hmm. the little tricks you can mm -hmm. do to see if mm -hmm. your ileocecal valve is closed or open, mm -hmm. but that visceral manipulation, if you can find someone in your area, I've said it before, I'm going to say yeah. it again. The woman I go to is like a living cat scan machine. Yeah. She it's can amazing. just say like, yep. Oh, your valve is closed or open or, mm -hmm. oh, your vagus nerve is wrapped around your esophagus and it's really tight right there. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. It's and really it doesn't incredible. hurt. It doesn't hurt, right? People often will think, oh, visceral, that sounds intense. You hear the word adhesion, you think, oh my gosh, that's right. like going to be raw thing to the 10th degree. Right. It's going to be painful. There's different techniques. So that's probably maybe the biggest message to get across. There's what we talk about, um, actual adhesion reduction, where we're going in and actually we have, there's evidence that the Clear Passage Physical Therapy Group out of Florida has done a mm -hmm. lot of great research on that. That's one technique, right? That actually can be quite intense for some bodies, some people. And then there's much gentler techniques as well. Those haven't been as well studied in terms of reducing adhesions, mm -hmm. but from a clinical standpoint, patients do so well with that work. And I think it should be a part of everybody's treatment plan to get somebody with their hands on the abdomen. It could be a visceral manipulation, or it could be a Chinese abdominal massage technique, or it could be Maya abdominal massage. There's a lot of options. And What's I think Maya are, abdominal massage? Maya abdominal massage came out, and I'm, I'm not an expert on it, but it came out of the Amazon, basically. There's um, Arvigo, her first name I cannot remember right now, brought the technique from her time and training with 
the medicine folks in that area brought it to the United States and actually to the whole developed world, these abdominal massage techniques historically used a lot for sort of helping tone reproductive organs in women, but we find it really works well for the digestion. So I have a lot of patients who do that as well. And do they go to a practitioner? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, they go to a practitioner. What I like about the Maya technique is part of the training that the practitioners get is also how to train patients to do it themselves. Nice. So they're often given homework, self-massage homework. It's such a great opportunity for relaxation as yeah. well as actually doing some good sort of self-massage, improving circulation, getting bowels moving better. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. I can't speak highly enough of okay. that kind of work. I'll check that out. Yeah. Really, this conversation is great because it's bringing up the point of having your team, right? You don't have just one person on your team. When you're really, when you're dealing with any chronic health condition, you right. don't expect to just have one doctor managing it and making you all better. No, that is what I expected. That is exactly what I expected. <laughs> maybe we don't in the medical world. We no, don't expect I was it, like, but yeah, you do. I mean, maybe that's true. You do. You yeah, really expect it to one solution to come arrive yeah. and ta-da. Yeah. It's so I was got diagnosed. I took yeah. two weeks of rifaximin, and I thought it was going to be done, like as I'm if so I had the flu. In it. I don't. I no. don't even notice it anymore. Now it's I have really the true. largest committee in the yeah. country, probably. You've got a team, and it I does. Do. It's not just you know abdominal massage. Somebody's doing the visceral work is huge. Reflexology is great. Acupuncture is great. Mm -hmm. And then all the self-care stuff. Mm -hmm. Getting to your yoga classes, mm -hmm. doing your seated meditation, doing your prayer, whatever it is that, again, gets that, back to that like nervous system tone. Right. That's huge. It's expensive. It's yeah. really expensive. And so I'm lucky right now because I have a great job and I have good insurance for whatever it'll cover. Yeah. That's why I wanted to talk about the imaging because yeah. the imaging is really important to, you're one of the people that really helped opened my eyes to how important yeah. it is. And a lot of times you can get your insurance to cover that. Yes. So yes. that could be a springboard for other helpmates yeah. once you have some additional information or help to eliminate information. I have one practitioner who's helping me get a pelvic ultrasound mm -hmm. so that we can confirm that it's not like a cyst on my yeah. uh, in my uterus or right. a cyst in the liver, which right. like I had never thought of that right. before. Yeah. If this is a condition that you have, you should be working with a team yeah. that is able to like really adequately work you up, right? And make sure that there's nothing else going on because that's the challenge with SIBO, right? There's so many symptoms of SIBO and right. that could be so many other things. And not most folks don't just have one thing, sadly. I wish that was true. It'd make our lives so much easier. We are at least going to have two, three, four things going on that are contributing to those symptoms. So we need to know what all those are. So doing imaging getting the additional workup, really important. And it's also where I think we get tension with a physician. Like, what? You didn't know that? Or what? You, yeah, you know, yeah. you gave me a magic pill and it didn't work. And right. then you kind of get frustrated with the whole medical community in general. Right. It's really, then you start going onto the internet and you find yeah. a lot of great information, a lot of very confusing information. Yeah. And actually my search and my journey is why I'm doing this is because yeah. I have used so much time, energy, and money right. to try to figure out what's wrong with me. Right. And I know other people don't have the time to do that. I didn't. Yeah. I really don't, but yeah. I'm doing it anyway. So that's why yeah. I'm doing this program is yeah. to help other people. And even if it's a springboard to, sorry, more work or to shorten the workload yeah. because you get the answers. Yeah. So let's talk real quick about that kind of team, right. a dream team. Let's talk about a dream, dream team. team. 
Dream team. Okay. Go for the gold here <laughs> Go for the dream the team. <laughs> so definitely you, of course, have your primary care doc. That's yeah. somebody who's making sure that you're kept safe and healthy and well, all your body systems. Mm-hmm. What's nice about a primary care physician is that they can also kind of be your team leader in helping you get access to the different specialists that you need. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that primary care doc might be somebody who knows a little bit about SIBO and can help you navigate that world, order the right. tests, for example. They might not be, and you might need to have a specialist on board. The next piece would have your specialist on board who knows about SIBO, who can help you navigate it. And it's up to you to decide, are you wanting to work with somebody who's more conventionally trained, who has fantastic knowledge in the pharmaceutical options to approach SIBO, or do you want to work with a provider that has more options, not only pharmaceutical, but also the herbs, for example? So find your expert there. I think it is a good idea for most folks to have a GI specialist on board, a gastroenterologist. This is somebody who you can go to to really make sure, okay, nothing else more serious is going on, right? It's just the SIBO. So that's definitely big for me. Other than that, I love acupuncture. I think it's I love huge. It. I think it's Chinese medicine and Chinese herbalism and acupuncture, looking at the body in a whole different way. And I think that is a really important piece. Different set of eyes, like different way of looking at your body and can bring really unique, interesting options to the table. Before we move on, because I know we still have to add a few people to the team, I just want to talk about what you would say to someone who has never had acupuncture before, as well as people who hate needles. (laughs) And just kind of let's bust some myths about it, because... When I was really not doing well, yeah. I asked them to count at the front desk of my acupuncturist. Like, how many times have I come to see you in the past, like, well, I don't know, year? 52. So I went every single week, and it was really for a while, and no one really knows this about me other than my husband and my best friend, is that it was really the only thing holding me over. Like, I would be feeling, oh, oh, okay, for three days, and then I would struggle until the next appointment. Yeah. It was also one of the only times where I feel like I got rest yeah. because I wasn't sleeping well. Yeah. So it was almost like when I got off the table, it was almost like I felt like, oh, okay, yeah. I kind of feel like I got eight hours of sleep. Yeah. And I hate needles, yeah. and they frighten me. And I have a very low tolerance for pain. Mm -hmm. Like it's in my DNA, literally. Mm -hmm. I really don't tolerate Mm -hmm. pain well. I've almost fainted from a paper cut before. Oh my. Not to be dramatic, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So really I feel almost like if I can do it, you can do it kind of thing. So just my sister, for example, is like, I went, I didn't feel anything. I hate it. Or I don't want to spend the money. So what would you say to people with those kinds of opinions or no opinion yet? No opinion yet. I'd say definitely... When you meet a provider, so just like any provider, right, you got to find the one that you really resonate with. Not every acupuncturist you're going to meet, just not like every doctor or naturopathic physician you're going right. to meet is going to be the right fit for you. So find somebody you really resonate with. Find somebody you trust. Find somebody you can relax with because that's really your point of getting rest. That is a huge benefit of acupuncture, right? If nothing else, which there's a lot more else that, that's going on, if nothing else, getting that good rest. So that's one. I think two the needle piece always comes up. People being like, oh, I don't know if I want needles. I don't like needles. So sometimes I say, the needles are really tiny. And they are. They're very, very small. Often with insertion, you may not feel them. And depending on the provider you see, you can talk to them about their needling technique. You're somebody who has a low pain tolerance. You really need a more gentle needling technique, maybe, than a more sort of aggressive or deeper needling technique. That's one option, right? The other option is 
Chinese medicine isn't just about acupuncture, right. right? There's acupressure, which is what reflexology is all about. You can also do acupressure throughout the body. There's sort of what's called channel massage, where you're actually working on the acupuncture points and those meridians via massage techniques. And there's also a really awesome, kind of different options, but there's a thing called moxa, where they actually burn incense on the acupuncture points and a few other ways of sort of doing the same kind of thing yeah. without the needles, which is great. Really helpful. I just had the moxa for the first time, Mm -hmm. and it was, she'd already done the needles like in this wreath around my belly, (laughs) and then she plopped the moxa right in the middle of it. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work, but I don't know. It sounds fun. And it really helped. It feels so good. It was really soothing. Yeah. Okay, back to the dream team. Who else do we need? Okay, so I think definitely somebody doing sort of abdominal visceral work. That Mm -hmm. might be your acupuncturist, right? Or that might be somebody who's doing that kind of treatment who has those skills. And then I'm a little biased here, but I think anybody with chronic conditions, having a counselor on board is huge, right? We're Mm -hmm. dealing with something most of the time that's chronic. A lot of people with gut issues experience it in a really stressful way. There's a whole conversation, right? Is it the mental emotional stuff that came first that causes the gut? Is it the gut stuff that causes the mental emotional stuff? And I think all of us have probably experienced both, right? right? Our gut's really inflamed, we get anxious, we get stressed, we get nervous, we feel more depressed, or we're feeling anxious, nervous, whatever, and our gut freaks out, right? We have to run to the bathroom. Yeah. So I think working with a counselor or somebody who can help teach skills for managing stress is huge. Maybe that's a counselor. Maybe that's your yoga teacher. Maybe that's your meditation teacher. You know, somebody in that realm kind of maybe go so far as to say the spiritual realm, right? Sure. Maybe maybe your pastor, you know, somebody who can give you those tools to really move towards that acceptance we were talking about and tools for how to be in this body when it's not really doing what we want it to do. What about colonics? Colonics can work really well for some people. And I'd say it gets back to that whole conversation about if you're constipated, you really got to go. You really Mm got to move your bowels. One important point we should probably mention, you could have a bowel movement every day and still have lots of stool in your colon. It happens a lot with kids, actually, we see. It probably happens a lot with adults, too, but we see it a lot with kids no, they're not constipated. He's having a bowel movement every day. No way. But we go and actually take a plain film x-ray of their abdomen, totally full of stool, right? Seriously constipated. So colonics can be helpful to kind of get that out, Mm -hmm. right? For people, adults and kids alike. We don't usually do colonics in, in young people, but we can do enemas, things like that to help clean out the colon. So colonics can be really useful. Depends on your constellation of symptoms. And then let's talk about probiotics because if you are washing all of that debris out in the large intestine, right. you're also washing out a lot of the good mm-hmm. and bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. And then with the SIBO treatment, whether it's the herbal antibiotics mm-hmm. or the rifaximin, right. I'm wondering, do you have people take probiotics while they're doing those treatments? It's so person-specific. You probably got this answer from exactly. everyone, right? Yeah. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> I wish that we had a clear answer of like, nope, just do this. And we had a clear protocol. We don't because everybody's so different. So it often starts in the interview. Before we start treatment, we say, how have you done with probiotics before? We get really specific. We want to know exactly what probiotic you tried. Did it have any high fermentable carbohydrates in it that could have worsened your symptoms? Or did you know you really had a really clean probiotic and it still made you feel pretty gassy or uncomfortable? You might not be a good candidate for probiotics right away, right? We might think about those kind of later down the road. We might think about those in terms of fermented foods, probiotic-rich foods instead as a source versus those high-potency capsules. So 
really person specific, but often if I, if I can, and a patient can tolerate it, I do use probiotics. Sometimes I'll use them during treatment, especially if they've had benefit with probiotics, but more often than not, it's after we've treated and after we have a good prokinetic on board. So that just in case any of those probiotics that go in this way, kind of like to hang out in the small intestine, they're washed through by that stimulating action of the migrating motor complex. So I like to have the prokinetic on board before we oh, that's good. start introducing a bunch. That being said, there are studies that say probiotics help to stimulate motility. So, you know, it's really, really case-based and person-specific, but definitely there's kind of a movement there for a couple of years of like, no to probiotics. I think we're moving beyond that. And we're definitely getting more, yeah, probiotics are important. It's just about kind of when and for whom and what, you know, particular dosing and potency and And strains. That. And, and strains. then you get the whole soil-based probiotics. It's a huge conversation. I know. It could be, you could have a whole symposium just on that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll do that one day soon. <laughs> okay. Your kids. So the yes. kids and SIBO, yeah. how do you treat those kids? I love working with kids. They're so, I mean, in many ways, they're so easy. I just got a message this morning from a really excited mom who the message title is SIBO cleared from this adorable four-year-old boy. And I'm just like warmed my heart. Kids are amazing. They respond beautifully, right? Most of them that have SIBO got it for some reason that's a little easier to address than adults, right? They haven't had as much life. They haven't usually had as many surgeries, for example, or major infections like appendicitis. They don't usually have like lots of adhesions in their abdomen. It might be related to the birth process, right? Maybe they were born via C-section, not vaginally. Maybe they had to have antibiotics really early in life, had chronic infections, more antibiotics, something like that, right? So we're really able to kind of address those pretty simply. There is that group of kids that also have anatomical issues, kind of a different population. But I say for the most part, kids are wonderful to treat. They're also really vital, right? Their little energy. So they respond so quickly to treatments. A lot of the time, a lot of the approach to SIBO in kids is really similar. We still do breath testing if we can in the kids. And more often than not, we can. So long as we do have some kids who are on the autism spectrum where blowing into tube, just not going to work for them, right? Or some developmental issues. So those kids, maybe not. We've got other options for them. And then we proceed with treatment. And treatment options vary a little bit, right? Certain herbs and certain medications are not safe for kids. But we do use Rifaxin and in some kids, lower doses, right? Their mm-hmm. bodies are smaller. So we often use lower doses. We use some herbs in children. High-dose allicin extract is one of those. The, the garlic extract works really great in kids. And then, I, honestly, I do use a ton of Iberogast. Oh, okay. It works so great for bloated bellies and little kiddos with stomach aches. It works fantastic. So we'll use that kind of symptomatically and sort of for kind of long-term prevention. Diet I'm a little careful with. These are growing bodies, right? I don't want to limit their calories. And I think that that can kind of happen when we limit diet. But we do a little bit of education. Like maybe all those mangoes that Johnny's eating, (laughs) maybe let's like replace them with some bananas or something like that. We, right. we talk about that. We don't go kind of full steam into, into dietary approaches. And for kids, we just optimize their digestive function. And often that can be key, right? Making sure their pancreas is kind of on board, producing all those enzymes. How do you find that out? Do you test? We do comprehensive stool testing. I like testing. I don't like treating in the dark. I've found that it ends up, we end up trying a whole lot of things and we don't get at what's going to work right away as quickly. Right. I can't say that testing guarantees that, but it gets us closer. So we'll do comprehensive stool testing. We test for a couple of pancreatic enzymes. Pancreatic elastase is one of them. Chymotrypsin is another. It gives us a measure in the stool of how much pancreatic enzyme is being produced. Kids are interesting, right? They 
come into the world, not all of their enzyme systems are on board. They're not producing everything right off the bat. They don't really need to, right? They spend a lot of time just drinking breast milk. So sometimes kids just stimulating their pancreas and their digestive juices to kind of get flowing is all you need to do. We'll do that comprehensive stool panel. We'll see low pancreatic enzymes and then we'll treat. We might use replacement pancreatic enzymes, but more often than not, we can do a little stimulation and get their pancreas to come on board itself. Like a physical stimulation? So there is. There actually is a visceral manipulation technique that I was taught, again, by Dr. Sandberg-Lewis that sometimes we'll do and we'll teach to kiddos. But we also use pancreatinum, which is a homeopathic preparation that helps to stimulate the pancreas. You use it three weeks in a row, followed by a week off for three months. That can work great in kids. I've seen responses, kind of amazing responses. We also sometimes, these are the unique kids, but I have had them that really love bitter flavored things. And Mm. I know, I swear they exist. Um, (laughs) These amazing kids. And so we'll use some bitter flavored herbs. It doesn't have to be major. Chamomile is a bitter. And those bitter flavored herbs stimulate the whole digestive tract, right? They stimulate hydrochloric acid in the stomach. They stimulate the pancreatic enzymes to be released. They stimulate the gallbladder to contract and release bile to help us digest our fats. So those can work great in kids too. Is that like digestive bitters, literally? Yeah, Yeah, digestive bitters, yeah. Or herbal bitters, you can get them over the counter. You can get them in little spray bottles at your like local natural pharmacy. They're so easy. Thank you to IBS Smart Test, which is one of our sponsors for this episode. That is a test you can take to find out if you have post-infectious IBS. Go to ibssmarttest.com. This is a test that was developed by some extraordinarily smart doctors at Cedar sinais in California. And it's a simple blood test. Sometimes your insurance will pay for it. It's not that expensive if it doesn't. And it's something that once I did take this test, I finally knew what my main underlying cause was, which was post-infectious IBS. We're gonna learn more about that in other episodes, but please trust me on this. Go find out about the IBS Smart Test at ibssmarttest.com and perhaps you will get a lot of new answers about your condition and finding out if you have post-infectious IBS.